I want to talk um, this morning as we, as you guys are getting into this series, uh, it's an awesome uh, privilege to, to sort of provoke your thinking as you get started. Hopefully the Holy Spirit uses what I've prepared to speak into your heart in a way that's transformative. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can listen to. There's a lot of resource that's available, but it's the transformation of God's Word as His Spirit moves in us. It's that transformation that's going to make a difference in our life. Here's an example. How many people know you should eat five servings of fruit and vegetable every day? It's irrelevant that you know that, isn't it? How many people know that you should sleep minimum seven hours up to eight hours every day? Some of you need to sleep nine hours a day. How many people know that? Is it relevant that you know that though, isn't it? What, what, what actually makes a difference is as, as God transforms us, it's not about learning more about God. It's about God's work in us at a deeper and deeper level. And I reckon that's what this series has got to be about. It's got to be, and this fast, that's what it's got to be about. It's got to be about saying, God, work in me in a deeper way and move me forward uh, into my destiny, right? Uh, how many people were around when we, we adopted the name Equippers Church? The, the, the name, the word had been around for a long time, but then we started using it as the name for the church. And, and, uh, and, and Grom and some others, we developed this logo. How many people have seen the logo? The old logo was squarer, and then someone got paid money to just move it like that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, the original idea was still good, right? Anyway, the, the logo was like that, and in this, inside there is what? An arrow is not a little house. Some people, I was just uh, talking to Keenan, he got confused at one point, he thought it was a little house. Like it's like, you know, because it's play school church, you know, the little house there. And uh, Pastor Sam is little Ted, and Pastor Bruce is big Ted, and <laughs> Pastor Kathy's Jemima. And, um, but it's actually, we're not, here to, we're not here to do play school church, right? That's an arrow. And it's, it's based on a prophecy in Isaiah that says, God fashions me. In his hand, you, you've fashioned me and you've hit me in your hand as an arrow. You've put me in your quiver. Right? Why do you make arrows if you're God? Why would God make arrows? You, you make arrows for targets. Those of you who have got like a whole lot of arrows on the wall at home, it's like a, a big display of arrows. They're, they're not for display, right? So if I'm an arrow fashioned by God, then there's a target, right? Right, so when we've got that, that logo of Equipus Church, it's not really a statement about who we are all together, except it is, but it's also a statement about who we are individually, that each of us is fashioned by God as an arrow. You know, you don't make an arrow for just decoration, you make an arrow for violent purpose. Now, if I'm gonna fire an arrow at a target, if I'm gonna hit a target, maybe as far away as the distant edge of that stage, how many arrows am I going to need? I'm going to, I'm going to need 30 or 40 arrows per target. But the question we've got to ask yourselves is if God is going to hit a target, how many arrows does God need? Right, so if God's made a quiver as big as this and then all the streaming in canvases, did I say that right? The extreming in canvases, close. All the people online listening, right? If God's got that many arrows... If God's got that many arrows, how many targets does he have? Right? There's a purpose. There's a role for you to play. Whoever you are in this place, whoever you are, if you're listening, there's a role for you to play that only you can play. Because God's going to make sure I hit my target 
as I allow him to work in my life. And God's going to make sure you hit your target. I don't need to cover you and you don't need to cover me. We've got to trust that God's got to move us forward and we get to hit the target that God's made us for, that God destined us for. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a whole sermon, just an introduction. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're here. And Lord, we thank you for the, the truth that you've made us, you fashioned us, you, you put us together. Lord, that you've led us through our lives. Lord God, you've been around us. We've grown up surrounded by your presence and we find ourselves this morning in church and we pray that you'd work in our hearts in a new way. Not the same as last week, not the same as next week, but that you'd speak to our hearts today. Lord God, that we'd be able to move forward from where we are now closer to the target that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. It's interesting if you read a bit of church history, there is a cool book that I've just started reading, so I shouldn't recommend because it could go really bad. But the front of it's been amazing. It's called Dominion. It's by a guy called Tom Holland, and he's a historian. I don't know if he's a Christian, but he's really interested in church history. Uh, he writes a lot of some crazy things. I follow him on Twitter. I don't actually follow him on Twitter anymore because I've, I've turned off my Twitter account because there were bad things were happening on the Twitter account, so I've turned it off. Uh, because I, I thought I could just unfollow all the Green Party MPs, but I thought, no, I'll just turn it off and I'll leave them alone. I'll just leave them alone, right? Uh, anyhow, this guy, Tom Holland, wrote this book, and it just tells the story, and this is an ama it's an amazing story. Of all the pieces of history, it's actually one of the most amazing pieces of history that a handful of people from a tiny area in Galilee in the northern part of Israel that God did something amongst them so real and so transformative that within a few short years, the impact that they were having in cultures and economics, uh, in, in trade, uh, in, in the movement of the empire, the largest empire that had ever existed to that point, the Roman Empire, that this handful of fishermen we're having such an impact that people in authority were saying, these are the people who have turned the world upside down in just a few short years. And if you think about, um, there's, a, there's one guy that we are, oh, oh gosh, here we go. This guy here, this is a painting I painted um, in about the 13th century. And it's Peter. It took him a lot. He was, he was getting bored. You can see he's getting bored. He's like, ah, oh, Jordan, how long? How long is this oil painting going to take? And I was like, mate, you know, a masterpiece is going to take some time. Anyway, I downloaded it this morning from the internet. And um, Peter is like in the middle of the story, right? He's in this, the middle of the story. And it, for Peter, his journey begins when he starts to follow Jesus. So he was a fisherman. He was running a two-boat operation. So he's reasonably successful. And Jesus literally walks into Peter's sphere and begins teaching. And at one point, he calls to Peter and says, hey, come and follow me. And for many of us in the room, that's where everything had changed for us or began to change for us is where God actually just appeared. Jesus just appears in our circumstance, whether it was when we were a teenager or whether it was last week or however, wherever it happened for you, God sort of just makes himself real in your space. And you feel this draw just to follow God, right? It's actually a little bit hard to explain other than the fact that we suddenly saw that this guy Jesus was real and then we felt like we should engage. We just, we felt, we were, when we, you know when you feel like maybe I should respond, put my hand up, 
Maybe I should start going to church again or more. Maybe I should read my Bible. That feeling, that's you responding to the invitation that Jesus is almost constantly saying to us, hey, come, come and follow me. And it's an invitation to relationship because Jesus doesn't say, hey, stay at a safe distance where people won't judge me because you're following me and then follow me like, you know, like when you're walking to school with your younger siblings and they have, they have to say at least two lampposts behind. Right, so if they were mugged, you could hear them screaming, but other than that, no one's gonna put two and two together. Jesus doesn't say that to us. He says, hey, come close to me and follow me, right? And that's where it begins for Peter. And Peter's journey following Jesus, for three years he was with Jesus pretty constantly. He heard Jesus teaching. He saw Jesus do amazing miracles. Peter himself and sent out by Jesus, did these amazing miracles. He saw, Peter saw people healed. He saw demons cast out. He saw all sorts of situations transformed as God was working through him. That's who Peter was. But actually, when the, when the rubber hits the road for Peter is on the night of Christ's crucifixion. And on the night of Christ's crucifixion, earlier in the evening, the soldiers come to get Jesus. And so Peter, Peter whips out a sword and then it says that he cuts the ear off someone, which is a pretty good indication he was trying to cut the head off someone because you don't aim for an ear, right? Not unless like, a, uh, like a, uh, some sort of a surgical specialist. You don't aim, oh, I'm going to take your ear off as a warning shot. And the other ear, you know, pinky finger and your toe, right? That's not actually what he's trying to do. He's trying to cut the guy's head off. He's that because Peter's this sort of violent, I'm going to make it happen kind of a guy. How brave are you when a whole crew of soldiers come and you whip out a sword, start swinging it around? Looks pretty brave, right? But a few hours later, a group of people standing around a fire and they say to Peter, ah, you've got a bit of a funny accent. Are you from Galilee as well? He's like, no, no, it's not me. And then someone else says, no, surely. I've seen, I've, I've seen you following that Jesus guy who they're crucifying. I've seen you following him. Peter's like, nah, it's definitely not. I'm not I don't know. I don't, I don't follow him. And then, and then, a, then a, a girl, a little girl, slave girl says to Peter, yeah, no, you're definitely a follower of Jesus. And, and Peter swears and says, I don't even know him. But that's on the night of Christ's crucifixion. Fast forward from there, from a moment of complete failure, from a moment of brokenness, it says that he, as, soon as, he, as soon as he realizes what he's done, it says he just goes away weeping. He realizes he's denied this guy, Jesus, who was the guy who called him in the first place. And then from this moment of complete failure and brokenness and weakness, fast forward, Peter leads this new thing, the church. God chooses Peter to lead it. Peter stands up and Peter preaches on that first day when the Holy Spirit moves. And, and then Peter leads the church and he establishes the thinking and he, he writes some of what's now the Bible. He plants churches in various parts of the world and, and right at the end of his life, he's a prisoner in Rome, a prisoner of the emperor. So he's come all the way from a, a little fishing village on the side of a lake in northern Israel and because of the work of Jesus and he's now become an influential world leader. in a few short years. 
And in the middle was this moment of complete brokenness and utter failure. And it's a story that makes literally no sense. The whole story of the early church makes no sense to historians. It's literally not like any other historical movement. It's not the same as any religious movement, including Judaism. It's completely different to how Judaism grew. It's completely different to how Buddhism spread around. It's completely different how Islam spread around the world. This movement of Christians that we're now still a part of makes no sense at ever. And this guy Peter's life makes no sense at all if you forget the fact that it was the Holy Spirit inside of these people that was moving them forward. They look like heroes, but they were fishermen who can't swing a sword to cut someone's head off. Right, they were very, very human people, but they did these amazing, miraculous things because of the Holy Spirit that was within them. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you're sitting this morning, that same Holy Spirit's available to you. The Holy Spirit doesn't anoint preachers and worship leaders. He only anoints, that means he only presences himself around people who follow Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you're preaching, it matters whether you're following Jesus. It matters whether your heart is open to the Holy Spirit moving. So we're going to read some scriptures that are right? Because it's church, so uh, it's, it's totally appropriate. So it says this in Acts chapter 1. This is Jesus after he's been resurrected from the dead and before he ascends to heaven. And he says this, he was eating with them, and he said, don't leave Jerusalem. So don't go and start doing what you're called to do, which was to preach the gospel into all the world. Don't start doing it. Don't go until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized you with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, so baptism is this idea of being immersed, pushed under, or dunked, is what the, the Greek sort of word means. And they used it particularly in terms of the process of dyeing fabrics. Not fabrics dying, they're already dead. But changing the color. Yeah? So what they would do is they would immerse the fabric in the liquid color, and then the fabric would come out What? transformed. Now think of this in the ancient world. This was the equivalent of magic. You take something a certain color, you put it into the water, and it comes out a different thing. Particularly if we add to that, that in the ancient world, the type of color denoted the value of the person wearing that color. Certain people of certain stations could only wear certain colors. So this whole idea of baptism has got this idea of we're immersed into Christ. That's what symbolizes as we go under the waters of baptism next week, right? And then we come out transformed, not just externally as in a change of color of a fabric, but the value and the position, the station, the nature of who we are is transformed in that process. So when Jesus is saying, John baptized you with water. You've already had that transformation of repentance and following. Now you're going to have this transformation of fire. And now, is that what it says? Transform, I'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. In some translations, baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Right? We're not doing that next week. It's just going to be a water baptism. 
So when that bit, the ascension of Jesus is just a heading. It's not part of the Bible. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they, Jesus didn't just get say, the, there was no narrator. The ascension of Jesus. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power. Everyone say power. power. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they couldn't see him any longer. So these are the very last words Jesus says. You'll be baptized, the Holy Spirit, and then you receive power. And that the word power is this idea of explosive power. It's the idea of like a, a chemical reaction and exploding power. The, the Greek word that's there translated as power is the word dunamos, which is the same root that we get the word dynamite from. It's that idea of, of no, it's not like, it's not like gradual force. It's a different power. It's that explosive power. Make sense? Right? You receive that sort of power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you're able to do what God's called you to do. Then you're able to hit the targets that God's God called for you to hit. Right? Then he goes to heaven, they can't see him anymore. In the next chapter, it tells the story of this Holy Spirit's arrival. This is the gift that God's promised. And it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. The sound fills the house. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled down on each one of them. In the temple, the old-fashioned temple, there was one altar that had a fire. On the day of Pentecost, there's 120 believers gathered, and there's 120 altars that have a fire. In the, in the old temple, there was one lampstand that you could light. With a bunch of little sticks on it representing the tribes. Maybe there's 12 of them. In, in, the, in, the, in this thing that we're part of, Pentecost, there's 120 in the room, so there's 120 lights. There's 120 fires, because there's 120 altars, because there's 120 agents of God's transformative power in the room. There's more than 120 people here, but when the Holy Spirit moves in here today, as we worship, as we pray, there's more than 120 lights, there's more than 120 fires, because there's more than 120 arrows, because if you've got a target to hit, you've got to have the power to fly. Good, Are we, we're making sense, right? Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in other languages. The transformation of how you talk is one of the first things that happens when the Holy Spirit's at work in you. Because the how you talk is your single most important power that you have as a human being. In fact, it's one of the only things that makes you different than the chimpanzees. The other thing is that chimpanzees eat a vegetarian diet mostly, right? That's the big difference, right? That we talk and we also eat meat that we cooked. Those are two really important things, right? But the Holy Spirit transforms how the, these people talk 
And they become more powerful as a, as a result of that. And as the Holy Spirit gives them that ability to transfer how they talk. At that time, there's this massive crowd of people visiting Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, that's the, maybe they heard the wind, maybe they heard the, all these people talking, exalting God. They were bewildered. They came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And so if we're going to understand the history of the church, if we're going to understand the nature of the church, if we're going to understand what Peter's life was, and if we're going to understand what our life is, we have to understand that this is the thing that turned Peter, who was bullied by a little girl one night, into this new guy, Peter, who straight after this steps up and preaches the gospel in the same city where he denied Christ, a few weeks later, he stands up and preaches to a vast crowd where 3,000 people become Christians. And he goes from being a fisherman in a tiny town to being a leader who was so dangerous to the empire that they had to crucify him in the middle of Rome. That's the sort of transformation that's awesome. End result, maybe, anyway, talk about that another time. But... The transformation that God wants to do in us this month as we're fasting is this transformation. God doesn't want to do like, oh, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just give it a trim around the sides. No, God wants to transform you. God's not just going to redo your zero fade. God wants to transform you. He wants to reshape you. And you can see it in the symbolic nature of God transforming the way we talk. Because it's the way we talk that shapes all of reality. It's not the way you think, it's the way you talk. Because the thing you believe the most when they do the brain scans, the thing you believe the most are the things you say. The things you think you're never sure of, but the things you say are the things that you believe. And then once you believe it, then you live your life out on the basis that, think about the power of the Holy Spirit, this gift of tongues, of Him speaking for us. What does that do for our mindset, our understanding of reality? It allows us to understand what's true. It allows us to understand what's right. It allows us to understand what's real. And when the Holy Spirit's working in us, do you know what's going to happen? This sort of thing happened. Peter steps forward, and with the 11 other apostles, he shouts to the crowd, listen, make no mistake about it. These people aren't drunk. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early to be drunk. Write that down if you didn't know it. What you see was predicted by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit. Men and women alike, they'll all prophesy. I'll cause wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red. And before the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's actually just a little short part of his sermon. But what happened in Pentecost and what happens every time we open our heart to the Holy Spirit is we step into the day of the Lord. We become part of the plan of God. We become part of the army of God. We're anointed by His presence so that we can do the things He's called us to do, so that we can be the people that God's called us to be. It's 100%, I'm 100% sure of this, that unless you open your heart to the work of God, to the work of the Holy Spirit within you, you'll never be able to fulfill the potential that God's put in you. 
unless you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your world, you'll never know what God could do in you because it's the power of God. This is how He does it. He fills you with His Spirit. That's what transforms us from the inside out so that we don't have to pretend we can just be what God's called us to be. So you didn't come to church this morning so that someone could preach and give you a list of things that you have to pretend to be. Or you have to pretend to be, you have to pretend not to lie, pretend not to kill, pretend not to swear. Right? No, this, what we're doing this morning is we're gathering together to pray just like these early believers. To, and we're believing for the Holy Spirit to move this morning. Because last week's finished, we need to get ready for another one. There's things in the front of us that we've got to face up to and deal with. And you've got to face up to your targets and I've got to face up to my targets. We don't get to do it as Equippers Church. Tomorrow, I have to go to work and stand by myself in front of whoever I'm teaching and do the job. You have to, you, tomorrow morning, you have to get up and get your kids to school. Right? You've got challenges you've got to face. So you're not going to be able to do all of those things throughout your life unless, and fulfill the potential that God has for you unless you allow the Spirit of God, the Spirit of fire, to be alive and burning within you. Have you noticed this about fire? That's another painting I did. I don't want to show off, so I skipped past it. When there's a fire, people notice. They're like last week when something was on fire, people in Devonport were going, oh, I don't think there's anything much happening. Oh, a bit of smoke. No, when, when there's a fire, people notice. I knew about this fire within a few hours of it starting. Well, within a few minutes of it starting, get some alert from stuff or something. Right, because people notice when there's a fire. We, in, in Wellington, we live up on a hill, and, um, you know, if you think, if you, if you live in our suburb, and if you think you're just going to do a bit of gardening, and then you think that at the end of the gardening you're going to burn all those leaves and stuff, if you think we're not going to notice, you've got it completely wrong. Because we have binoculars ready, right? If there's a whiff of smoke anywhere, a certain person in the house will get the binoculars Something's going on, right? And then we wait for the fire trucks to come. The other day, there was a small whiff of something happening on the hills. My eyes are dim, and I was like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? We need to call the fire brigade. Need to call the fire brigade. Look, like the power lines are on fire. And then um, my assistant, Christine, gets the binoculars, looks out the window. Uh, no, there's people on the fire line, power lines, and they're just water blasting something, so it looks like smoke. People got to notice. People notice when God's moving. People notice when something's on fire. It creates attention. In the story of, of Pentecost, it's all the people came running to see what was going on because God was moving. So much of our effort to reach out to other people has got to begin by allowing God to work in us. You don't have to put up a sign saying, you know, when your house catches on fire, you don't need to put up a sign outside saying, this house is on fire. <laughs> right? Because people can see that it's on fire. They can see that something's happening. And you know, they can see from miles away that something's going on, that something is happening. Something is transforming that house before our very eyes. Right? That's the transforming work of God. Do you know, fire is also destructive. 
It burns through things. Some of the things that you have been trying to shift in your life just needs the Holy Spirit to burn through them. Some of your prayers are prayers like my prayers. Oh, God, please help me with this problem. And God's like, I don't want to help you with that problem. I want to set the problem on fire. I want to burn it away. Some of us have cut things off in our life and we've stacked up like the garden waste. You know, stack up the garden waste in the corner and you think, don't worry, that'll rot down. About, across about 20 years, that will rot down to nothing. Or in one afternoon, you can gather it all together in the middle of the yard, particularly if you live in the flash of the suburb, the better this is. You gather it all together and you get a little fire started and you get that thing burning, right? And within a few minutes, rubbish that's been gathering around your house, you know, old McDonald's toys, old tires, throw it all on. All that stuff that gathers around your house, it can be destroyed. It can be burned out by God. Doesn't that happen heaps of times on a Sunday? You, you come in here with a big, big black sack full of stuff. And then you sing a few songs, too fast songs, too slow songs, seems to be the norm. <laughs> Lift your hand, unless it's been arm day, then you just do this one. And then you walk out, and sometimes we don't even realize some of the things that we've been carried in have just burned away. It's, never, it's not always that simple, but it's always powerful when God moves through and destroys some of the stuff that's been holding us back, clears things out, moves things forward for us. You know, fire is transformative. So fire doesn't just destroy things. It also takes some things and reconstitutes them into something useful. As far as I know, steel is made out of dirt. There may be more to it than that. But it's roughly that. They dig out stuff. Right. I've done a lot of research about this particular point. And it's just what it said. It said they dig the stuff out of the ground, and they put it on a truck. The truck goes to the place, and at the place... They burn it up with a burny thing, and then they pour it out like this. And the dirt, think about dirt. How useful is dirt? How useful even is iron sand? How useful is that compared to steel? You know, God wants to take some of the dirt of your life and not just destroy it and burn it away. God wants to take some of the dirt. You know what that is, right? Say, so God wants to take some of the dirt. You know, let's not talk about it. You can talk about it with, by, amongst yourselves or by yourself at another time. Write it in your journal, then maybe burn the journal. God wants to take, you know, those things, not the sins you confess at e-group, the ones you choose not to confess. God wants to take those sins, Right? You know the sins that mean you don't even go to e-group in case there is a confessing time. <laughs> just so you know, we don't do a lot of confessing in e-group. That's just, these were jokes, right? <laughs> if I say anything that seems weird, it's a joke. God actually wants to take the dirt, dig it out of the ground, put it on the truck, take it to the place, and at the place, burn it up, but not just burn it away, but reconstitute that dirt into something like steel, something that he can build with, something that's hard, something that's sharp, something that's useful as a weapon. Do you know fire is attractive? Here's a group of people sitting around a fire. 
If you don't know why people are laughing, you are old. <laughs> or you're young and you don't care about Fortnite anymore. The um, reality is this. Fire, the work of God in us, is actually attractive. It's what draws people in. That's what, that's what, that's what makes church attractive. You know, this, you know, the songs are good. Yes, the songs are good. The preaching's usually quite good. Not today, but sometimes it's quite good. The chairs are comfortable. The room's a reasonable temperature. But would we bother coming here if it wasn't for the fact that God's working here? When, we, when Chris and I are deciding how we should, on a day off, let's, where should we go for lunch? In Wellington, we decide on the basis of which cafes have fireplaces. Because all the cafes have got coffee. Have you noticed this? They all have coffee. They all have lamingtons. Well, they don't. They should all have lamingtons. But it's the coffee, that, the, the, the cafe that has a fireplace that attracts me. Right, because there's warmth, and you know, Holy Spirit's not just this consuming fire; He's also the comforter. God, yeah, God wants to destroy some things in your life. He does, and He wants to take other things and melt them down and make them into something useful. And He also wants to make you feel better. He wants you to feel okay about what's going on in your world, and it's the work of God in you that makes you feel okay. You know how sometimes do you ever get a bit stressed? We've all got a friend who gets stressed, so when you see your friend, just point this out to your friend, that it's not the breathing exercises that make the ultimate difference. The breathing exercises just allow you to calm down and become aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit's always ready to sit down with you next to the fire and comfort you in your difficulty and your challenge. And my last 35-minute point is this one. I just went with motive instead of motivation because the other ones made the words all attractive. Uh, you know, is that okay? <laughs> if you think about um, how we made this deal anyway and, and how this train is moving, this train is moving because within the coal there is power that's untappable without fire. All of the energy that's stored up in the coal over hundreds or millions of years, depending on how you like to read Genesis, right? All of the energy that's stored up in the coal, for hundreds and hundreds of days it gets stored up in the coal. And then in the same process, you dig the coal. Where's the coal? Where is the stored up energy of your life? Oh, it's just floating around on the surface. You just go and get, get some. No, unfortunately, all the good things have to be dug up from underground. And the work of God digs out this potential that is you. And then God's like, wow, look at this potential. And then someone prophesies, Pastor Matt, that God's going to do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, oh, wow, Z. Oh, I've been praying for Z, right? Right? You have to not understand maths to understand the whole nature of that prophecy, right? And then you wonder why everything bursts into flame after that. Oh, I thought God was going to bring me into my potential. 
Well, how, where does the energy that is life, how is that unlocked in your world? It's the fire of God that burns and unlocks that potential. And then we say things like this, oh, I can't believe life's so difficult. And God's like, it's amazing, isn't it? Look at all that potential that's coming out. Look at all the opportunities you've got to be on fire, to find the energy of God. Look at all the opportunities you've got. Oh man, at my school, my, my daughter goes to the worst school in New Zealand without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> They're all raving left-wing lunatics. It's an all-girls school with gender-neutral bathrooms. It's an all-girls school. It's called Wellington Girls College, and the head girl doesn't know whether she's a girl. It's a weird place. I get text messages. Teachers just said that. Is it true? I'm like, no. Your teacher's 25. Anything they say is not true. Your teacher, as well as that, your teacher is a teacher. They don't know anything. <laughs> Come on, teachers. All we learned was how to teach. We didn't learn anything to teach. <laughs> Your teacher's 25 has done, literally, she's done no research. She's telling you things she's heard. But what an amazing opportunity for the potential of God to be unlocked in my 16-year-old daughter's life. She was having trouble organizing her study time around all the podcasts she has to listen to on a daily basis. Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens. She's got to listen to all these people. Why? Because she's got to unlock something within her to deal with the spirit of the age that she's growing up in. And the confusion and the challenge of being a 16-year-old girl at Wellington Girls High School, we were freaking out. We need, to, we need to go somewhere where there's a Christian school. Do you know what? I've taught in Christian schools. They're all so terrible. <laughs> it's in the name. It's in the name. School. If it's called a school, it's a bad place. Oh, I need to find a better workplace. Do you know the thing about workplaces? There's always other people there. Do you know the thing, the thing about other people? Let's not talk about it. It's too scary. The reality is there's always these opportunities where God wants to unlock potential, but sometimes we're just coal. We've got all this potential and we're just coal. And God's like, wow, brilliant. Look at this room full of coal. <laughs> so much potential. Jim used to say this all the time about the interns. Oh, they've got so much potential. <laughs> one of the other leaders said one time, I don't care about potential. I want something to get done. <laughs> this was at a different church, so... This is when I was attending life, uh, and uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, the intern's there, anyhow. <laughs> yeah, if you want, I will one day write a book about interns, interning with Jordan Smith. I've got a lot of really entertaining tales to tell you, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, those are my points, I've done them all, is that all right? I'll just recap them because I can. Fire, it gives us motive, motive power. It's attractive, it's transformative, it's also destructive. Don't, get, don't forget that thing about God is real big. He does like crushing things. It's also noticeable. 
If you're like, I just don't know if God's working in my world, do you know, if you just don't know if he is, do you know what? He's not. If God's working in your world, you'll notice. But here's the trick. If God's not working in your world, do you know whose decision it is, whether he is or not? We're not waiting on him. It's about us. The tricky part is this, but the first bit, we humble our, it's hard to even say, we humble ourselves. Sometimes it's even helpful to say it out loud. This thing, say, I'm not God. I'm not in charge. I don't know everything. Right? I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you working in my world. And some people in the room are like, oh, yeah, but I'm not even sure about this Jesus guy. Well, that's where it starts. God presents himself as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. The whole thing is one thing called God. So we use the word God with a capital G, meaning this thing, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who we worship, this person we worship. The word God just means center and source of everything. You know when some people say, well, who made God? That's the point. God's the thing that didn't get made. When you go back in time, the thing that made all the things is this thing, God. And then how do you know God's a person, not just some impersonal force? The only reason I know God's a person is because I'm a person. An impersonal force can't produce a personality. That's a logical nonsense. We've, we've literally, the philosophers sought this out, f- figured this out thousands and thousands of years ago. And people still make the argument, well, how, who made God? No one, that's what God means, the thing that no one made. Oh, but how, it's just an impersonal, it's just the universe. No, the universe would just make, could make rocks and stuff maybe, but the universe couldn't make a tree even. Can't do this thing called life. Life has to come from life. Right? Where'd that tree come from? Oh, it grew out of the rock. Yeah, we used to think that. Right? We don't think that now. We don't think that life comes from nowhere. We think that life comes from God and this moral human being, me, must have come from this moral personality God. How do you know God is so amazing is that He creates this whole world and He releases free agency within it called human beings. And then the human beings break it. And then God sacrifices His own self for the redemption and the reorder of that world. That's this, 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 the Son. He comes and He dies in our place, Jesus, and, and He offers to us salvation. 